This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. If we look toward the future and really what's coming down the pike, the innovation space has really been where our service line experts have been abuzz this year. We constantly are carving out time to talk about new drug therapies that are coming down the pike, new medical devices, the use of AI and how that's going to catalyze healthcare. And so much of what we talk about is there are these really interesting things coming, but what's the on-ramp here? Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. My name is Jamie Sage and I'll be your host for today's episode. This is the time of year when the SG2 intelligence team is culminating all the work over the past few months, pulling all those trends together we've been watching over the last year, and we're developing our impact of change forecast for 2024. To kick this off, while we are putting pen to paper digitally on our forecast and certainly kicking off 2024 as a year, I wanted to bring on two of my colleagues to share some previews of what to expect in the coming year as we roll out the forecast in the spring. I'm joined by Tori Ritchie and Chad Geese, two of my colleagues who are integral to developing our SG2 Impact to Change forecast. Welcome, Tori and Chad. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. We've been having tons of sessions around all the different drivers and trends and things like that. Tori, since you've been leading, pulling all those sessions together, what are some of the biggest forecast drivers that we have for the 2024 forecast? To a large degree, what's old is new again. We are continuing the story of the impact that the aging population and those increasingly complex individuals are going to have when we're thinking about utilization trends over the coming decade. This is certainly a narrative that we've been hammering for the last couple of years, but we're really starting to see that uptick in utilization play out in some of the recent historical data we're getting our hands on. Through Vizient, we are able to access the clinical database that tracks inpatient discharge as well as ED utilization in the near term. And if we look at the first three quarters of 2023 compared to the same time frame in 2022, we see an uptick in utilization for things like inpatient discharges as well as ED volumes really across all service lines. This is where we're seeing that rising acuity and aging population story start to play out in real numbers. This is something that our teams are further evaluating of how much further up can we push the dial from a utilization perspective? When do we think we're going to expect a plateau So what are the types of services that are going to be really hard hit? This aging of the population and complexity story has been playing out for a while. And to see it hit the utilization numbers that Tori's referencing is to some organizations might be good if they're looking for growth stories. But for many of our members, this is going to come as a, oh, no, what do we do? We've got so much demand, very little capacity. This is going to be a challenge. We don't see an end in sight in the near future here as far as these growth numbers go. Sometimes when we see volumes change in the historical data, they can be due to policy, regulatory, or payment changes within the U.S. healthcare system. One of the confirming studies for this rising complexity trend was recently published out of Canada using their health system data over the last two decades that showed increasing complexity, longer length of stay, older patients being admitted. This rising complexity story is real, and it's going to challenge health systems to provide efficient care in the right place at the right time by the right provider. 
touching on something that you said in terms of this might come as a shock to systems who are already struggling with capacity. When we think that bed occupancy has been sitting somewhere between 70 and 80 percent, depending on the type of organization. In this time frame that we're talking about, we've seen a 4 percent increase in inpatient discharges, a 6 percent increase in ED utilization. There aren't more beds necessarily. There isn't more staff necessarily. So it is putting a lot of pressure then on organizations to think through how do we manage this influx of patients. From a payment perspective, folks, certainly from a financial picture, this might be welcome news, but I don't know from a throughput perspective how we're going to manage it. We've talked about at SG2 the importance of all of these different levers to manage that inpatient capacity. And one of those happens to be how we leverage the outpatient facilities and service sites that we use. That's another one of our big trends. Definitely. So we've talked over the last number of years about that inpatient to outpatient shift. Total joint replacement for those ortho procedures is really the number one example that's often given. But we're starting to see a stabilization here. So much volume shifted out of the inpatient care setting and has already moved to the outpatient. And to a large degree, the folks that are left behind in that inpatient care setting, they need to be there. We're starting to think through how we're going to stabilize that, that inpatient to outpatient shift story and turn our focus onto some other care redesign opportunities. Yeah, that shift has been playing out for close to 15 years now, but it's been primarily a status change, that inpatient to outpatient status shift that has impacted organizations from a financial standpoint, not necessarily a workflow or a patient flow standpoint. The shift that Tori's been alluding to is now a lot more complicated to actually put into play. And that's the ambulatory shift or this outpatient shuffle. You'll hear some of our colleagues describe it as it really is a shuffle. It is moving patients from the hospital outpatient department to an ambulatory surgery center or an office or the home when appropriate. That requires a deep dive into protocols, into patient selection, into provider engagement, into technology advances that enable some of these shifts. It's a much more difficult shift to put in place, as well as it takes more time. These things aren't going to happen overnight. And if you're looking at your capacity challenge on the hospital side and some of these innovative models to move patients to different sites of care, certainly there's a role there, but it's the long-term play. We work with health systems on a regular basis to try to assess where to put their resources, how these different sites of care can enable them to manage capacity, manage demand, and serve the communities in the most efficient way possible. Orthopedics is very mature in its shift to outpatient. So are there some service lines that are still seeing some shift go on? There are still certain procedures that are shifting to a large degree. It tends to be market specific. I'm thinking, Chad, about the CV service line, and we've seen some movement from inpatient to outpatient, but that's largely isolated to specific markets and drivers that are occurring there. You're spot on. The ambulatory shift on the procedure side tends to be very market specific and a very local decision that even two organizations within the same market might have a different strategy based on their position alignment, patient population, and their financial situation. That's one aspect that will bring variability to which service lines are going to shift. If we take a broader population of the chronic disease population, whether it's cardiovascular disease, neurosciences, you name it, there's more opportunity across service lines to invest and engage in the ambulatory or outpatient space to prevent inpatient admissions. We've been talking about this for so long within the cardiovascular space, the heart failure population. In 2010, we had the hospital readmission reduction program put in place, and heart failure is one of the big biggest challenges at the time. And it's really hard to move the needle. 
in fact, these patients are really sick is what it turns out to be. So even if you're maximizing ambulatory care for chronic disease patients, it's a big lift. And it's really hard to decrease inpatient utilization as these patients continue to age. Many of these are progressive diseases, meaning there is no cure. We're slowing down the disease progression in many of these programs, but there's always room to improve their ambulatory care coordination. If you talk to any provider, they will admit that they have work to do in the ambulatory space. All of this disease management that we do just compounds the complexity of the patient because now they're living with three, four, five, six, seven chronic diseases that are being managed as opposed to having an acute event that shortens their lifespan before they get to that point where now they've got Because this is the reality of aging. That's part of the fun challenge, but that's where innovation comes in and how we think about it clinically. Let's talk about innovation and where innovation comes into the forecast. We're a victim of our own success in healthcare. The survivorship story exists across every service line. Think of cancer patients now that have more treatment options today than they've ever had. The survivorship numbers tend to be overwhelming for cancer programs to manage. And they're thinking about creative ways to use primary care and advanced practice providers to enable the oncologist to do what they're trained to do and practice top of license. You're right. We are a victim of our own success in many ways within the U.S. healthcare system. If we look toward the future and really what's coming down the pipe, the innovation space has really been where our service line experts have been abuzz this year. When I think about the meetings that we've had with the various service line teams, we constantly are carving out time to talk about new drug therapies that are coming down the pipe, new medical devices, the use of AI and how that's going to catalyze healthcare. And so much of what we talk about is there are these really interesting things coming, but what's the on-ramp here? How long is it going to take to have substantial uptake that's going to change epidemiologically patients that are accessing the system today? Even if we think about the top of mind example, the weight management drugs, sure, we're seeing real time outcomes or we're seeing improvement in weight management. We're seeing some low acuity advancements in terms of controlling diabetes and blood pressure and the like. However, in order to truly change the prevalence of some of the diseases, some of the conditions that we're forecasting for over the coming 10 years, we believe that it really sits outside of the time frame of the forecast at this point. It's a certain art for science of, okay, we're really excited about these things that are coming, but what's the impact going to be? The reality of adoption tends to be a little slower within healthcare than many of us would like. And we have some precedent that we can look back on, precedent drugs or devices. Statins are a good example. They were introduced into the market, and it's taken a long time for them to reach that point that Tori is mentioning around having a true epidemiological impact on the population. Some of the newer lipid management drugs have a bit of a longer runway to hit that point. It takes uptake and adoption from a physician standpoint, a patient standpoint. It takes regulatory approval. It takes payments and reimbursement to support these. And then it takes overcoming clinical inertia from the providers that are prescribing and providing these novel treatments to patients to really reach that point. Some of these newer therapies out there will have faster adoption than others, but for the most part, is 10 years enough time to see a large impact? That's what a lot of our teams are wrestling with as we go into this forecast update. When I think of some of the other novel treatment therapies, they also tend to be incredibly expensive. That becomes another rate limiting factor of the coverage. 
are payers going to reimburse? Are payers going to cover some of these treatment therapies? If we were to come up with tomorrow a cure for cancer, but it cost $2 million per patient, how many patients are really going to have access to that treatment in the near term? That's such a difficult perspective to take because you want the answer to be there. You want to be able to deploy these really life-changing and life-prolonging drug therapies. But the reality is the red tape that exists in order to build out this scale, it's a lot to juggle. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the genetic modifying drugs that are coming out just saw Blue Cross Blue Shield's going to start to cover them. So that's going to start to build and allow some adoption because I know it's been hard to see those move. Want to pivot a little bit. We've talked about some of the trends and things. What's your advice in anticipation of the new forecast coming out for our providers in the market, our clients to use the forecast? What's the best way to leverage the impact of change? This is an important consideration because it's a demand-based forecast. We believe that in order to drive the most informed strategic initiatives using it, it should be one input of many in strategic planning work that organizations do. It's so important to take this forecast, but then layer in supply considerations, other strategy considerations, your workforce information to have this well-rounded, holistic view of where your market or your organization is likely to go. You lived in the consulting world prior to coming over to our team and helping develop this forecast. And so you saw those discussions in real time with the members. And it is extremely important in order to localize this to an organization, to a market, to the physician's needs within an organization even, so that you can turn these numbers into reality. Either find a way to mitigate that percentage growth that you may not want or find a way to capture it. Well, you're right. This is a strategy and supply agnostic projection that we create and provide to our members. It is the creativity that results from the discussions that we have that will allow them to take these numbers and put them into their strategic plans and ultimately be successful long term. Our forecast is not just a population-based forecast. We take into account policy. We've talked a little bit about innovation and technology has come up. Consumerism, we haven't talked about, but that's another. These are impact factors. I'd love to hear from each of you what your favorite impact factor is, and then I'll share mine. This is such a hard one because when we are building the forecast, we're using these impact factors as levers to drive up or down utilization over the next 10 years. For a given procedure or a given disease, we might look to one impact factor more than another to change utilization. The one that I tend to get most excited about would be the innovation and technology impact factor. In my previous life before coming to SG2, I work on the device side. I have a passion for finding solutions and seeing how those solutions can really make an impact on patient care and quality of life. The innovation and technology space, I'm also a realist on how to apply it and how quickly it will have an impact. To me, it's a really fun area to keep track of. Tori, what would you say? You have the fun answer. And I have a much more grounded answer, which is my favorite is probably the epidemiology impact factor. And the reason for that is it keeps us honest about the healthcare outlook of the nation. We're able to see in pretty real time how that disease prevalence and incidence is changing, particularly as we are dealing with that increased level of acuity. It really allows us to put numbers to some of the stories that we're hearing out in the field. It allows us to really start to quantify what the impact is 
is if we aren't focusing on things like chronic disease management, making sure that we're mitigating adverse outcomes and the like. You've been at SG2 now for 22 years. You were part of the original forecast development, and I'm guessing it was before impact factors. It was. Actually, the only impact was technology. We just forecasted technology impact. Now you have more options. What's your thing? I have tons more options, and I like the epidemiology one, too. That's a really good one. I would say the thorn in my side has always been policy, but to your point, Chad, if payment is tied to how policy, right, that is often the trigger that allows something to grow or squashes growth. The one that I have the most fun with when I've forecasted has been system of care. And because it really was to say, what does the future look like given workforce realignment, using different types of workforce, using different sites of care, like we talked with the outpatient shift, all of those different things, which you could call them innovation, but it's care delivery innovation. It's how we use care alignment and resource effectiveness. And so that system of care impact factor is the one that gets me hopeful about the future. So that's the one I like to play with and try to really dig in to understand at the ground level nationally what's happening with care delivery innovation when it takes off is really going to change how and where we deliver care, who delivers it and who we deliver it to. That's the one I like to work with the most. Thank you, Chad and Tori, for sharing a little bit of a preview and just some mindset insights on the impact of change. Really appreciate you taking some time out of this really busy time when we're working on our 2024 forecast. And for our listeners, really appreciate your time and attention as well. Thank you so much for being with us today on SG2 Perspectives. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.